Hey up everyone, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast and here we are at episode 11 and I'm just putting this together on the 23rd of July 2021 the interview was done a couple of days ago and I'm just putting things together on uh, this Friday afternoon and um, it's been extremely hot here in Yorkshire which uh, are normally two words that don't normally go together and uh, while I was doing the interview upstairs in the games room, it was a bit like a sauna. Uh, so you might hear halfway through uh, my lad coming in and uh, giving me a can of pop and, and the, the pop uh, can being opening, opened in the background. And, and that, was, that was just to keep me alive because I was flagging halfway through the interview. And at the moment, I've got the, uh, the fan on in the background. So if you can hear that, I do apologise. Um, News-wise, um, it's been a great week on YouTube. My YouTube channel has passed a thousand subscribers, which is uh, kind of a big be- benchmark on YouTube. So I'm really glad I've ticked over there. I had to do a, a bit of pleading and begging on on Twitter to get people to come over and follow me, uh, but we we got there in the end. We've got over a thousand, uh, and it's fantastic to have you all on board on YouTube, and obviously. You, the people who are listening to this podcast uh, thank you very much for the follows um, and if you've not done already just give us a follow on Podbean um, it's great to have people on board and I can see as the numbers go up uh, that this podcast is popular and, and it encourages me to do more and more of them this episode uh, went all the way to Australia with today's guest uh, Stephen Wald who's uh, unknown as old wargamer on Twitter, great number of followers, and uh, somebody I've, I've interacted on with Twitter for a long, long time, and it was great to have a, a long chat with him, with a, a fellow painter, and we covered lots of different topics. So grab this and a cup of tea, back and relax, and let's listen to the interview. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast. Now, if you remember the last episode, we got back on Yorkshire Airlines and we spent the afternoon in Kentucky, USA. Well, today we've refueled the pigeon, and this week we're going A up and away to Australia, to Adelaide, Australia. Now, uh, you'll know that that is really, really south of Sheffield. Um, and that's four continents in 11 uh, episodes, uh, if, you, if you've been listening. Uh, today's guest is a megastar on the Twitter with over 6,000 followers and counting. He's got a real eye for a great photograph and getting people to paint obscure German nations in World War campaigns. So let's give a huge White Rose welcome to Stephen Wald from Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big War Games podcast. Hello, Steve. Hello, Ken. Thank you for getting in contact with me. What a joy this is. <laughs> Lovely. It's great to have you on, mate. Great to uh, get uh, some representation from around the world of the wargaming community. It's uh, lovely to have you on, mate. Um, we we have something in common in that we are both um, considered masters of uh, wargaming by a certain Chris Breeze, um, who was a guest on my show. Um, and... I, I've had a go at Chris because I said Masters means old. Did he? Did he? Try, <laughs> did he try and get out of that with you? Uh, look, I, I, it's funny with Chris. He, he came onto Twitter, and uh, 
he was trying to learn um, how to paint and yeah. figures and um, he was reasonably new to the whole wargaming scene. Yeah. And I just happened to give him a little bit of advice about, I, I can't even remember what it was about, whether it was about some shading, dry brushing or something like that. And uh, we just hit it off. Yeah. And he started to call me captain. And, um, <laughs> and I... <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of referred to him as the apprentice and together we just, we just struck up this relationship and he, and, and, you know, and I have watched him grow and develop over the last couple of years and his painting is superb. He has just, you know, we, we forget, don't we, Ken? Painting yeah. is a learned skill. Yeah. Um, and it's something that you don't generally start and be fantastic at. It's something that takes a little bit of time to get there. Yeah. And Chris was like that and he continues to grow he continues to develop. And, you know, the funny thing is I actually met him face-to-face. -face wow. In, two, in 2019, we came over to Nottingham just before COVID hit. We were there in um, uh, November 2019. Uh, I was there with my wife and we wanted to do um, the lead belt in Nottingham. And uh, Chris, I knew, lived in Nottingham and I made contact with him over there via Twitter mm. and we caught up at a local pub. Oh, and, fantastic, uh, fantastic. Lovely guy and I have so much time for him and he is so passionate and what that man has done for Wargaming is, an, is enormous. Yeah, it, it is superb and I'll, I'll, I'll echo that shout out because the, the, the videos that he's doing for new gamers and all the introductions yes. and stuff, all, the, all the, the things that kind of an older gamer would take for granted and maybe not realise that somebody new into the hobby wouldn't be aware of, he's kind of, kind of filling that gap and doing a, doing a great job of it, bless him. Um, but mm. before we get chatted, we've got to put you under a bit of pressure because uh, that's what we like to do on here. Um, and uh, we've, uh, we've got the four-minute challenge. So whereas other podcasts will give you um, a couple of weeks to give us your history um on here we like to do it in just four minutes um so are, are you ready are you, are you ready for the pressure yeah i might struggle to take four minutes but we'll see <laughs> yeah some people some people do too much mate and some people summarize too quickly oh, right. so <laughs> around four minutes would be good um and a little tune will come in towards the end so uh, off you go mate just give us a quick summary of your war games history Okay, Steve Wold, here I am, I'm 61 years old, living in Adelaide, South Australia. I haven't always been here. I, I grew up in Sydney and in a little town called Blacktown in the western suburbs of Sydney where my mother used to take us into Blacktown in, this, in the uh, early 60s, early 70s, and uh, we'd go shopping. And there was a chemist, a pharmacy. Can you believe that? A pharmacy. <laughs> and we'd walk past it and we'd go inside and in this pharmacy, he sold Airfix soldiers. Oh, yes. The plastic soldiers. Why a pharmacy? I don't know, but things back then <laughs> were completely different. And uh, so my brother and I just loved to be able to go into this pharmacy, into this chemist. And whenever we did, my mum would buy us a packet of Airfix soldiers. So I'm part of that Airfix generation and um, of, of people that have grown up with these small plastic soldiers in these boxes that had great artwork on them and we'd take them home and set them up and play with them and it was just so much fun as a kid. Um, it's really difficult to, uh, to estimate the effect that that really had on me um, as I look back over my life now. Um, 
but obviously it had an enormous effect because I'm still captivated by beautiful miniatures and by the joy that they can bring to our lives. My grandmother, when I was, um, I think I was about 11, 11 years old, I stayed at her place in Burwood in Sydney and uh, she said, what would you like to do for your birthday? Which is only movies you'd like to see. And at 11 years old, I said to her, oh, there's Waterloo. Well, there's a movie called <laughs> Waterloo. And she took me to see the movie Waterloo. Um, so that would have been 1971. And um, that also had a profound effect on me now looking back. And after the movie, she took me to a shop and she bought me a replica sword, but it was a sword that was a letter opener. Mm. It was oh, only wow. a small one. Yeah. So we're talking about probably 10 inches long, but it was a sword from the Napoleonic period and it was a little replica sword, and I still have that sword. <laughs> so, again, just one of those things that hits you um, as a young boy. And from then, you know, all the normal years of school and playing and whatever else, it wasn't probably until I was in my uh, very late teens or early 20s that I came across a company called Grenadier, and they were making metal miniatures. Mm. And um, I bought somehow a couple of packs of their uh, metal, I think they were, I'm pretty sure it was orc or goblins, I think they called them back then, and um, and orcs and some sort of character figures. It's really hard to remember, but that started me on the journey of metal miniatures. A few things get in the way, marriage, kids, stuff like that. Um, but throughout that time, I still had this love to of of figures and soldiers, and wherever I was, I'd try to find them and 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 paint them or do something with them in any way that I possibly could. Lots of plastic sort of 54 millimetre type stuff, Britons I think they were called. Anyway, from there um, the world started to change and I got introduced to Hinchcliffe and minifigs and then Essex Miniatures became available in Australia mm. and the Essex distributor started to also get in companies like um, uh, Front Rank and Dixon Miniatures and the world then just opened to me like I had never believed it. Is it four minutes already? Oh, yeah, there's your 30 seconds coming up. <laughs> Bloody hell. So, <laughs> so here I am today yeah. after that introduction to metal miniatures still just firmly um embedded in this whole hobby and what all the joys that it brings to us wow what about that for timing <laughs> well thank you very much for that mate we'll uh, we'll explore plenty of stuff around there it's not easy is it to get it in in four minutes you, well, you think, no you think, it's not you think you're doing all right and then suddenly it's there uh, it's it, correctly correct. I thought there's about two minutes gone. All right. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So, um, a very similar journey into the hobby to to many people of, of our age. I'm in my mid fifties, so uh, we're not a million miles away from each other in terms of that. Um, how how is how is the war gaming or scene in Australia? Where did it? Where did you come into contact with other war gamers in Australia? I think the thing that got me um, involved with other people with metal miniatures and wargaming was back in um, in the Newcastle area of, of New South Wales. Um, I ran into a guy who was a barber. His name was Frank. And he, every Wednesday night he'd have a game at his house. He had a table set up and he had a room that was um, fantastic. It was just full of cabinets and miniatures mm -hmm. that he had painted. 
And he invited me over his house and I think I went to Frank's house every Wednesday night for a game probably for about five years. Mm. And that just fully grounded me in the fact that there were rules and books <laughs> and, and armies, you know, not just individual figures. And Frank was a wonderful uh, mentor um, and uh, just really just trained me up, not only me, but a range of other people. He was sort of like a wargaming evangelist, I suppose. <laughs> but, and from there, um, I've moved uh, from, New, from the uh, Newcastle area in New South Wales, I've moved to South Australia down the bottom of Australia where I've just continued to do what Frank really set me on the path of doing, which is mm. wargaming and bringing other people into the hobby. It's like a club set up in, in Australia. Um, different, you know, when I was talking to uh, John Lander last, last week in America, all their hobbying seems to be based around shops and, and tables in shops. Um, what's, the, what's the situation with that in Australia? Um, probably a little bit of the same, but also lots of clubs. Uh, mm. And you know, Australia is such a big place. I mean, it's it's um, three thousand kilometres from me yeah. to Sydney. So, um, and there are many clubs. Uh, Adelaide has uh, probably three or four wow. uh, running uh, wargaming clubs, mm. and those clubs, our club, the Group North Club, has been going for fifty years, and uh, we have um, probably about fifty or sixty members. Uh, and we meet on a Wednesday night, and um, it's just great to be able to have an environment. The environment mm. a club provides just is is sensational. But many people also game in their own homes with their own close circle of friends, yeah. or they go to a shop. You know, games workshops yeah. still do their thing where they, you know, have in games uh, tables and stuff. But yeah. so there's a real variety, but that variety is spread. Throughout Australia, you'd, it doesn't matter what capital city you went to, you'd find clubs, you'd find shops, you'd find individuals in their homes. The wargaming scene is reasonably strong in mm. this country, which is, you know, that's the UK influence, definitely. <laughs> well, that, that sounds really promising because, um, uh, you know, to have a club, four clubs in a, uh, what's Adelaide, about a million people is it yeah a million people yes yeah so to have four people four four clubs and yours has got 50 members that that is very very healthy um yes. indeed um do you have any conventions in in australia how, how does that scene work yes there is there is one convention um in canberra our uh, capital city and it's called cancon and it's usually once a year in january um, and gamers from across the country will um, uh, will meet at CanCon, and um, there's a range of different games. All the whole fantasy scene is represented there. There are also large bolt action tournaments, um, uh, DBA tournaments, all the Flames of War, all the yeah. normal trending type games are mm. represented at CanCon and can be played there. So, yeah. but there's only the one. Apart from that, each state will have maybe its own um, smaller version or clubs. Like we we will run a uh, once a year, our club name is Group North, we will run an open day. Mm. And uh, generally all the other clubs in the state will tend to come and support that. Oh, great. And, um, so, yeah, so it starts at the one main convention and then just sort of branches out to smaller day events. Mm. And, and how would you go about uh, with – with figures over in Australia, I know, I know there's a few. Um, I was speaking to Pete Morby from Elite Miniatures. I think he's got um, an outlet 
um, I think it's in Australia. Um, mm. do, do you tend to have companies who have satellites in Australia or is it mostly imports? Mostly imports, Ken, um, which is unfortunate. I mean, I, I have a real love for um, Front Rank and War Games Foundry and <laughs> yeah. generally all the expensive companies. <laughs> so getting their miniatures uh, here is expensive. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, I do work, I work one day a week in a shop called Military Hobbies. It's a gaming shop and mm. uh, they sell all types of military uh, hobby stuff from model kits right through to king and country collectible figures and miniatures mm. for wargaming. There's quite a range that is available here from the plastic um, set Victrix and Warlords and Perrys. All those type of miniatures are available here. Um, but if you wanted a specific period in metal or it's hard to get that unless you specifically order it in. Yeah. And is, is does Australia have its own um, manufacturing companies? I, I seem to remember that, is it Eureka or? Eureka. Eureka. Yes, correct. Eureka, very, very, very good company. They have a tremendous range of different figures um, and lovely sculpts. Um, so, yes, there is Eureka, but um, one company supplying all the vast needs of wargaming um, <laughs> is almost impossible. So if, you, if, you, if they've got what you want, it's wonderful. If they don't, well, it's back overseas to see what there is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, the, there's a Eureka UK and they're kind of um, intermingled with AB figures uh, over here. Yes. Um, yep. and, and they do. When Eureka brings something out, it does tend to be Danish Jaegers from 1854 or something that you've never even <laughs> even considered. <laughs> yes, they like to fill the holes that no yeah. one else does. <laughs> does that, you know, oh, I, I need a 12, 12 and three quarter millimetre farm animal. Where do I need to go? <laughs> oh yeah, Eureka! They they certainly like to um, develop their own niche markets. I have to say. Yes, they do, and um, you know they do some, but they do do some interesting stuff. And yeah. uh, um, but I've got a few of their figures here and there. Different I I use in different ranges, but I guess um, anybody coming here from the US or the UK and looking at my figures would recognise where they were from. They would yeah. recognise them as, as Front Rank or Perry's yeah. Yeah. or War Games Foundry, so they would feel quite at home. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I've Obviously, I've been following you on, on Twitter for a, for a long time, and, and you occasionally show uh, pictures of your gaming space at home on there. Um, so mm -hmm. just, just for people who, who may not have seen that um, and the listeners, just describe what your hobby setup is at home. Okay, I've been really lucky. This was um, probably, you know, 55 years in the making. Yeah. You don't always get the gaming <laughs> room you'd, you've wanted at the very start of your life, but I think I've just about there now. Uh, we had a kitchen renovation and uh, I was speaking to the kitchen guy and I said, look, I've got this dream of a table that I can stand up at and game, so it's about waist, waist height. I'm, I'm six foot tall, about 1,800, so mm. it's about... The tabletop is about my waist, yeah. um, and uh, so it's ten feet long by six feet wide, and uh, down the front side of the either side of the um, of the table, I have drawers, and in those drawers are all of my armies. I keep my armies stored under. They used to be. I used to have a table tennis table, and everything would be thrown under the table in a box. <laughs> now they're drawers. Um, 
at the other end of the table, I have uh, cupboards with terrain pieces in them. So essentially it's a table where I can reach down and pull out of the drawer or put back into the drawer something that I need mm. at a moment's notice. And I find that to be absolutely fantastic. So to have this surface now is wonderful. My wife claims that most of the time she's a scrapbooker and she <laughs> loves to have this great big working table. We call it our craft room because she sits yeah. up one end and does scrapbooking. I sit down the other and do miniatures. And uh, <laughs> we, we both have workstations set up on the gaming table um, and she spreads the crap all over it. Then um, when it's time for a game, we have to clear it off and set it all up. And it, uh, but it's fantastic. I, I'm just so happy to have this space. No, that's that, that that's brilliant. And is, is that is that table extendable? Can you go bigger if you need to? No, no, it's not extendable. This is the room wouldn't really take any more. So mm. um, that was where we cut it off, so that we could still actually move around in the room a little, yeah. um, and get around this huge table. Yeah, I think I think that's a mis- not not a mistake we've made here, but we we've, we've kind of. Um, expanded the table as, as far as it will go so that people, right. have to, people have to go on a diet to get round the other side of it. <laughs> I've not quite gone to the stage where you have to crawl underneath because, right. you know, I, 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 as you get older, that's, that's more difficult. Um, but um, we, we've all gone on a little bit of a health kick recently, but there was, there was one guy who, who always had to set up on this side of the table near the door because he couldn't get around. But bless him, he's, <laughs> lo- he's, he's lost a lot of weight now. and He's happy to play uh, on either side of the table. Um, no, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Look, uh, if, I want a, if we want a bigger game than what I've got, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the club. Our club, we have a hall. And, all right. Um, it's an old, old building that used to be on defence land and the government... Um, gave it out to various clubs and associations and um so there's a little precinct which is full of different types of clubs and we ended up being the only people left in this hall so we have a whole hall and if we want a bigger game we set it up at the club so we can have up to a 15 20 foot table there if we want to yeah um so but this one does generally most of what we want oh that's that's good we've we've just we've just got a purpose-built hall um, for Leeds War Games Club um, that we've Perfect. kind of just moved into. Um, so mm. we've got that opportunity as well to, you know, if we really want to do something massive, um, to, yes. to put that in there. Because I, I keep trying to, my gaming room is on the top floor. It's You won't be familiar with stone terraces in Australia, but uh, in Yorkshire, they're, they're very common. And uh, we're on the third floor. So it, there's an opportunity to knock through to the next room. Um, okay, and it's a negotiation in progress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we, we could we could manage a twenty four by six if I can get into that other room. Uh, and, okay, yeah. So you know, there's. I keep telling you know Mrs. Riley that there's a there's you know there's there's a reasonable and she never comes up here so we've got a spare okay. room there now the children have gone that's right it's brilliant isn't it and perfect that, and that you've got international fame now so there's another reason <laughs> yeah oh I, I need it I need it for my blog post lover I need it to look look better <laughs> she she's not caving bless her she's 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 dug a line in the sand I think uh, oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll manage. So um, your your 
your games then? Do you do you have a regular night at your house where friends come round, or or is regular night at the club? Um, the regular night is at the club is a Wednesday night, um, yeah. but we still do because um, I've just retired. And I have several friends who have just retired. And so what we've done is we've planned every month. Um, there is a, two or three days where we will game at each other's homes, where we oh, put on brilliant. an afternoon game. So yeah. we go and have lunch together at the local bakery or the pub. And then yeah. we head over and we start a game and we finish around about 4, 4.30. And um, so, yeah, the, the table is used regularly. But because we've got the club set up and because that's where most of the people are, it's easier to go there on a weekly basis. And we keep the home table and home games for probably um, usually the once or twice a month. Oh, that, that's good news. Did, did I see on one of your posts that your, your lads, have you got lads who do gaming as well? Yeah, look, I, I, I had three girls, okay? And so three <laughs> girls attract a lot of boys. But thankfully, <laughs> thankfully things have settled down and, and two of them are married. And, yeah. um, and my wife also had... She had three boys, so I had three girls. She had three boys. Yeah. And um, so two of her boys are very interested. One of them's uh, big time into 40K and kill team. Another one um, is her middle one who is also in the Australian Armoured Regiment. So he drives um, M1A1s mm. uh, for the, in the Australian tanks. He's very much into Flames of War and historical gaming. My eldest daughter married a nice young guy and he's um, – currently into Flames of War and Team Yankee and Fantasy and a whole range of different things. And he's just bought a resin printer oh, and he's printing. Yes. He, he's a nerd. And, and so for me, this is heaven because he's just <laughs> opened up to me this whole realm of printed miniatures, which yeah. if I was to do it, I'd never do it because I'm yeah. too bloody hopeless at this stuff. <laughs> So he's he's been fantastic, and Corey, my my sec, my second daughter's husband, um, is also a gamer. And so, look, I I get them all around. We have yeah. um, four or five guys around the table, and and it's just been I, I couldn't ask for anything more, yeah. Ken. You yeah. know, to get your boys involved and to get them really enjoying this hobby is wonderful. No, that's fantastic. My, my lad dabbles a bit as well, so it, it's fun. Good. I'm not, I'm not suggesting to the listeners that you need to grow your family to get opponents for wargaming. We're, we're, just, we're just saying that it helps. <laughs> it does help, yeah. <laughs> it does help. Girls yeah. help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, get, boys, girls, get them in. Get them, get them painting. Get them, you know, yes. even if they're not very good at painting – you know, this is kind of going back to our Yorkshire days where they'd be 12 and they'd go down the mill to earn the, the, the money or up the chimney. Um, if you can get them, you know, building sprues so that they're ready for you to paint or yes. something, something like that, a bit of child labour. Perfect. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Perfect>. Very much. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's great to hear. It sounds like a fantastic uh, setup you've got there. Um when I talk to people on this podcast, I, I talk about a little, the, the Venn diagram of wargaming and and how people's personalities affect how they they hobby because it, it's a massive hobby where you've got modelling skills involved, you've got painting skills, you've got research, you've got the games themselves and rules, and, and it's not it's not like butterfly collecting where you collect a butterfly and put it in a mm. box or whatever. Um, there's millions of skills all around it. So, um, from the from from these, if you imagine war gamer, 
painter, collector and historian. How do you, which ones of those do you prioritise? How do you see that fitting together? Um, and, I, and I've heard some of your other guests talk about this. For me, I, I'm, I'm definitely a high in the painting. Yeah. For me, painting um, and the creation of the figure, the setting up of a table, um, the aesthetic, the look, mm. the feel, uh, that's, that's everything for me. Um, yeah. I, it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy gaming. I, I do enjoy gaming, but there are times when I think if I never had another game, I'd still be a really happy guy painting at his desk <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah. and the fact that we now have this uh, worldwide audience through social media that can see what you do is just such a bonus yeah it is yeah. it is just opened our hobby to you know once upon a time you'd paint something and you'd be lucky if half a dozen people saw it and then it'd yeah. sit in a box under your bed for years <laughs> true and now, now the world sees it and your world gives you feedback on it yeah. and it's just changed the whole dynamic. So, yes, definitely a painter, um, gamer, probably historian second. I mm. love to research. I love to study the armies. And third, I'd be a gamer, but I still do it every week. So I'm, I'm an active gamer, yes. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds that, that's interesting because that sounds very similar to my setup because I'm a a painter and I've said on on podcasts before and interviews before I would look I, I'm I set the table up and it's ready to go before the people come in that's the bit yes. I love the most and I look at the table yep. and I go that, you've done all right there lad that's 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 yes. not bad at all that's not bad at it's all a, so <laughs> it's very pleasurable isn't it to set yeah. up a good game and when they come in and they go wow that's that's what yeah. you're looking for yeah Fantastic. That's good. That's good to hear you got similar uh, similar thoughts to, to myself on that. Um, mm. How many figures do you think you've got then? Do you, have you got big collections? Um, I must I must do an audit. But, yes, I do have big collections. I have particular periods of history that I do love. Um, although I'm not, I'm not a hoarder, mm. um, I'm very careful about what I do keep. Um, at the moment, being retired, I'm I'm now working through my armies, and there are some. You know, if I took my British Napoleonic Army, which is a nice army, it's 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 a good size. I could probably feel what I needed to if I wanted to do a Waterloo game. I could mm. feel the British side easily. There are some units in there that I'm not happy with, in the sense that they were either painted a very long time ago, or I acquired them through another means. Yeah, and so now I've got the time. Um, I'm saying to myself, I will get rid of these units and I will replace them with the units that I have done mm. in the way that I think that they should be done. So I'm just yeah. not not a lot, but I'm just gently going through and replacing um, and remodelling what I do have. And if I don't have it, I, I, like I said, I work in a, in a hobby shop, so I, I take them to the shop and I get rid of them. I sell them either on eBay or we sell them through the shop. And that allows me a little bit of pocket money to buy something else that I want to work on. Mm. So I do have a couple of friends who are miniature hoarders <laughs> uh, and they never throw a thing away and they have everything. And um, I, that doesn't appeal to me. I, I like to have an army that is pristine, that looks nice, that is finished, um, rather than having boxes of bits everywhere and, and half done stuff. So I don't know where that comes from, but that's just the way I am. Yeah, because um, Chris Chris Breeze asked me that question in my master's interview, um, mm. and um, that led to me 
quite often I'll just be sat in the games room on an evening and the, the, as all the listeners will know and yourself will know, Steve, there's a myriad of things you can do in a games room when you're not actually doing anything. You're just moving things <laughs> around or organising stuff or putting things in a box or I, I yep. all, all my stuff is all mounted on trays that have individual slots for the for the units and they're all unit specific sizes so i can i can i can spend hours up here and, and, and i've done that interview with chris and, and occasionally i'll bring a, a little bit of malt whiskey up with me uh, and um, have i have i have had one or two and um, i thought i thought that chris he asked me how many figures i've got and i don't know um <laughs> one two <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Mr. B- I, so I I did actually count them all up, which was uh, it was quite cathartic at the time, and um, I, I've ca- I've kept it as an ongoing list now, so I'd never have to do that again. But so that's a um, good idea. Yeah, if if you find yourself in your games room with a couple of beers, mate, and you start counting them, blame Chris, mm. blame Chris, not me. Not Absolutely. Me. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's why I'm asking the question. Do you have from from those? Um, do you have a like a signature dish? I like to call it. If you're, you know, chefs will will have a dish that's theirs. What's your kind of go to or favourite period? The one that inspires you the most? I think I'd have to say it was uh, the medieval period. That's really where I started and where a lot of my fascination was. And I now that we're talking about this and I mentioned earlier in my very early life I came across some grenadier figures mm. one of that one of those boxes of grenadier figures was actually knights oh brilliant. I now remember and so um I can remember those and I remember I don't I probably have a couple left somewhere here and although I've dabbled in in just about every other period that there is and I love all those other periods as well the favorite games and the ones I come back to more often than not is the medieval period. I just love it. I don't know why that is, but it's just, <laughs> it is just fantastic. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I something medieval, something I stayed away for, away from for a while. Um, and mm. then I, I got into the Crusades. And once I'd got one figure painted, a knight with the car parison all flowing and charging, and, and I just, why well, haven't I done this before? Um, so uh, <laughs> they're, they're, a, they're a right royal pain in the backside to paint because yes. there's, there's so much detail on them. Um, but mm. yes, I, could, I can certainly see the, um, the draw to the medieval period. Do you, have a, mm. do, do you have a set of rules that you like for the medieval that could kind of give a feel for it? Yeah, look, the ones we've been using um, lately, and we've tried a few, um, are the old War Games Foundry uh, Medieval Warfare. Oh, I've not um, seen them rules. for a while, yeah. No, no, no. And they're really hard to get now. Mm. Um, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that, uh, that are not perfect, but I think uh, for a set of rules that gives you a feel of the medieval period, mm. um, I haven't had anything that does that quite so well as they do um so they really put some thought into that when they did them Mm. and we found ourselves um just falling back on them from everything from um normans and saxons uh through to war of the roses Mm. uh we're still yet to try them with um italian walls but um they just have a really good feel for that period Mm. 
And is that is that because they're they're quite old, if I remember correctly? Is that something mm. that you tried before and have come back to having tried other things? It's it's funny because I had a set of them when they were released, and um, then I probably sold them because I don't know what happened to them. Mm. And it's 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 really in the last probably two years that we've come back to them. I can remember putting a post on Twitter and just saying because there were some blokes selling them on eBay for 180 bucks. Wow. And I thought, <laughs> bugger that. So I, I just put up a post on eBay with a picture and I said, does anyone have a set of these rules that they're no longer using or don't want? And uh, one of the guys said, yeah, look, I've got a set at home. I'll po- set them over to you for 20 pounds. Yeah. So I thought, wonderful. And yeah. when I got them, um, we sat down and we looked at them and we had a couple of games and we were just taken with them. Yeah. We, we did a lot of fields of glory before that, uh, ancient mm. medieval rules. I, I've never really been um, big into skirmish games. It's always been big battles and, mm. and, and lots of units on the table. So there wasn't um, a lot of other rules that appealed to us in that particular yeah. aspect. So yeah. fields of glory did give a reasonable game. But uh, like most sets of rules, you, after you've played them a lot, you start to find their weaknesses and you, yeah. you just get a, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. we're enjoying medieval warfare at the moment. Yeah. Let's see what that's like in a couple of years' time. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great to hear. A, a bit of love for an old set of rules. Do you tend to, yes. uh, do you tend to uh, stick with rules? Um, it's something we do here. We'll find a set of rules that we like. So uh, uh, Johnny Reb 2 for American Civil War, they must be 30 years old now. Um, and there's been Johnny Reb 3 and 4. Um, but we've just stuck with them because we like them and we we don't yes. waste time going around trying loads of different sets of rules because we like that one. Uh, how, what's your sort of philosophy on rules? Do you stick with one or do you, are you flitting around with different ones? Look, I, I think you've, you, you're really hitting on something that... Um, uh, is almost a lesson that a wargamer has to learn. Um, and uh, the companies want to lead us from rule set to rule set to rule set, from shiny thing to shiny thing to yeah. shiny thing. And I've been on that roller coaster where you're just following this mm. craze of the latest thing that comes out. Um, I have to slap myself around a little bit and uh, just say, well, listen, where did you have fun games? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Like you, uh, the ACW period, we use a set of rules called um, On to Richmond. Yeah. A very old set of um, American Civil War rules now, but it's the set of rules that my friends in Newcastle introduced me to with the American Civil War period. And so we're talking back in the um, uh, late 80s, mm. early 90s. And um, I have I brought that set of rules down here to South Australia with me and introduced a whole range of my friends to it who I made down here, and they've all loved it. It's a simple, fast play set of rules um, where you can have a laugh, mm. but also, you know, you've got to think about what you're doing. So, yes, look, we're going back. I think I think there's maybe it's just our age, Ken, but there's a yeah. you start to think, well, where did I have some good games? Yeah. And we'll go back to those rules rather than trying to constant this search, trying to find the new shiny thing. No, go back to where you were and yeah. where you had a great game yeah. and stick with that. There's no need to go forward. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's not forward. It's just, I don't know what it is, but yeah, uh, it's like, I think, um, you know, I've, I've been in the games workshop area and, and big, big time into Warhammer fantasy battle. And um I've tried Kings of War and tried a few other things and to, so I can get to use my um, Skaven army 
But, you know, I've realised I had the most fun games when it was back in probably sixth edition. And so we're going back and we're going to start gaming that again. Yeah, oh, lovely, lovely. That's what I you like know, to hear. Because we had fun and yeah. we laughed and we enjoyed it. And yet yeah. this constant having to buy a new set because to keep up with it and there's a strange little change and, oh, mm. no, I'm past that now. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know whether this particular trait of Yorkshireman has travelled to Australia, but we don't like spending money here. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be an area of Australia where everyone will say, "Oh, they don't like spending money." Then, um, well, Yorkshire's one of them. Uh, we don't like we don't like spending our brass if we don't have to. And um, yes. if we've got a set of rules that we like, why do I need to? Buy fifty more sets. I mean, people can't That's believe. Right. People, some people can't believe that I've never played Bolt Action. I've never, mm. I've never looked at it. I've never read it. Um, but we've got a set of rules um, that we've written ourselves around an American set called Disposable Heroes. Um, mm-hmm. and we're happy with it, and we all go, "Well, why do we need to change? We we come here. We have great games. We have a laugh. We have a we have a good time. They give realistic results." Why do I need to go mm-hmm. and spend 30 quid on another set of rules and then 30 quid on another set of rules and then and, and so on? And I think um, a lot of that's driven, uh, and I think we're both lucky in this. I'm, I'm sure we realise this, that with gaming with regular people, you, you can do that with rules, can't you? Because you're not mm. trying to fit in with a crowd. True. Yeah. And look, it's, it's marketing driven, and I understand what they're doing, and I understand mm. why they do it, and I want them to succeed. Um, but I think we need to uh, gently where possible is help younger gamers understand that, hey, um, if you're enjoying the game and it's bringing you pleasure and your mates are enjoying it, stay there. Yeah. Focus on the figures. Don't focus on the set of rules that you're playing. Focus on the period and what the figures yeah. are that you're using. The rules are really just a secondary thing. Mm. Uh, and and it's not usual that we give sensible advice on the Reap Big War Games podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're normally telling people, right, you need a 30-foot table, 10,000 figures uh, minimum. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we've, we've actually given some sensible advice there for once. So, uh, listeners, if you want to note that down in your diary, because it's unlikely to happen again <laughs> very soon. So just just before we finish this first section, uh, Steve, what's your current project? What's what are you working on at the moment? Um, two things at the moment. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Cameron, my um, uh, son-in-law, has bought a resin printer and he has printed for me my very first historical resin miniatures. Uh, the STLs come from a company called uh, Cavalero Miniatures, and mm. I'm sponsoring his Patreon um, each month, and he sends the files to me or makes them available, and I yeah. give them to Cameron, and he works his magic because he's a bit of a computer nerd and a whiz with this stuff, and he brings me bags full of these most beautiful miniatures um, yeah. cast in resin. So yeah. I'm thoroughly enjoying myself at the moment as I paint up um, – those figures they're actually he calls them spanish crusaders so they're yeah. they're actually uh they do have a, um a crusader look about them some of them but they're they're very normanish yeah uh, very early crusader you know the the um conical helm with a nasal mm. down the front um it's quite shield so they're very very norman looking and i'm using them as normans um so that is that is 
priority at the moment yeah. is just to to punch them out. Uh, the second thing is uh, we've just started the, the uh, Bavarian Painting Challenge on, ah, on yes. Twitter. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that towards the end of the show. Roger, um, okay. Yeah, I've noticed some Russians as well on your feed recently. Are they are they new as well? Uh, yes, I, we've we've come back to um, LaSalle. When um, Sam ah, Mustafa yeah, yeah. Um, released LaSalle many years ago, um, I think it was over 10 years ago now, uh, we tried it and we enjoyed it and we enjoyed LaSalle and we played it for a long, long time as a battalion uh, level Napoleonic game. He then released Blucher, and uh, we also loved Blucher and really enjoyed that. And so, probably more of our Napoleonic games over a long period have been Blucher. And when he said he was re releasing LaSalle, we said, Wow, well, let's have a go at that. Let's see what's changed. Well, mm. everything's changed. The man <laughs> has just done an amazing job at completely um, talking about leaving nothing of the old rule set. He changed it, and it is even better. Oh, uh, brilliant. So we are. So that's what the Russian guns and stuff have been mm. for. I've just found that I'm a few nugs short, um, and so I've been painting um, British and French and Russian cannons just to get my cannons mm. um, in the numbers that I need them. I think you've got to have two bases to represent a battery. So mm. I just I was a couple short here and there, but really enjoying uh, that battalion level napoleonic game again very yeah. much he's a clever man that sam mustafa yeah i'd say i've not um i've not tried any of the i have to say i haven't tried any of his rules but they do seem to have um not uh, radicals the wrong word they do seem to have clever mechanisms in them and they do seem to work yeah. you kind of think oh that's a good idea uh yeah yeah, a lot, yeah he, he, you do stuff you never would think of and mm. um and so he does, he's very clever. Yes, I'll agree with you. He is a very clever man in introducing elements into games hmm. that as traditional war gamers, we're just not used to. Yeah. And uh, But they really enhance the experience and the feel of a game. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll have a look at that. I didn't realise they'd been re-released and, and rewritten, so uh, I, I might uh, check those out and have a have a look and see how they are. Well, well, thanks very much for that. We've we've done a nice big long intro there and covered quite a few topics. Um, so, um, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back shortly and uh, we'll be talking about big games. So uh, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Lovely introduction there with Steve. And uh, we're now going to talk about uh, big games, which is uh, kind of what this podcast is all about. Um, we do go sideways in a number of areas on a number of occasions, but we're, we're, on, uh, we're, on, we're on big games so, uh, at the moment. Um, so the first question I ask everyone, mate, is um, if I say big game, what does that mean to you? What, what does that conjure in your mind? What picture? Um, it pitches um, generally a large table, mm. um, at least a six by four um, at a minimum. Mm. And on either side of the table, you would have um, a reasonable sized army made up of various units. Probably a, you'd want to have at least a dozen units mm. and some nice terrain, a table that's set up really well. So for me, yeah, many figures, good terrain and a large table. Mm. And is that something you try and recreate in your games at, at home? I've, very much. I, I mean, I've played um, Saga. I've played 
uh, chain of command. I've played a bolt action, lots of different um, line ramp, but lots of different skirmish games. And mm-hmm. I do en- I enjoy them, but I'm I'm a big game player in the sense that I like the look of a large unit. Now, I, I'm Fields of Glory when it came out, that rule set, um, I think it must have been written by people that manufactured figures because they made, <laughs> <laughs> they made units of about eight to ten and sometimes in some armies 12 stands. Yeah. And one of those stands might have four figures on it. So you start to do the maths and you add up, you know, you've got an eight-stand unit of four figures on a stand, yeah. you know, it's a big army. And I, <laughs> I, I love that. And so when you saw that all um, on the table, it looked magnificent. And I think I've just stuck <laughs> with that. Um, and, and, having, and gaming with a whole range of friends who uh, have large ancient armies and medieval mm. armies, it just... I don't know that there's any other way I can do yeah. it at the moment. Yeah. I, um, I I rather cheekily asked that question to uh, Nick Skinner from the Two Fat Lardies when I, when he was on. <laughs> um, and I kind of said, if, if you made figures, would your rule sets uh, have more? <laughs> 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 uh, bless him, bless him. He took it in good spirits, which which was good. He was a lovely lad, was Nick. Um, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying there. If if people were, if, if you're a figure manufacturer, it, it mm. doesn't make a lot of sense to do a thirty figure skirmish game. Whereas if you, like you say, if you can do a, a twelve stand unit with four figures on a stand yes. and sell the figures. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. There's, there's some there's some sense there, isn't there? <laughs> there is. There is, and I'm sure they I'm sure they're behind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got conspiracy theory there. I like that. I like that. Sensible yes. advice and conspiracy theory all within ten minutes, um, which is very good. Um, is it? Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you the scale of the figures or um, the the number on the table? What's what's the um, what are the things that I drive guess- you? Well, if I was, if it's a preferred for me, I mean, a preferred scale for me is, is 25, 28 mil. Yeah. Um, but I've had many big games, uh, which I've enjoyed immensely with 15 mil. A 15 mil Fire and Fury game um, is awesome. Uh, I've had some, even some six mil yeah. big games. I don't, I don't have any six mil figures. Mm. I, uh, the only 15 mil figures I have now are World War, early World War II. Um, I sold all of my Napoleonic and ACW 15 mil. 15mm over here in Australia at the moment is sort of on the way out. Yeah. Um, it's not overly popular. And I guess that's because the uh, miniature manufacturers have made 28 mil through plastic so much more accessible. Yeah. So many yeah. people are just going down that, down that path. Mm. So, yeah, for me, the preferred scale is 28 mil, but I think you can have a big game, an enjoyable big game in any scale. Mm. Oh, definitely. And that's an interesting point that you've, you've made there regarding the 15 mil and something I hadn't really thought about before because I've, I've been thinking about plastic figures in terms of how it is opening up big games to mm. war games through cost. But um, until you said that, then it's not quite triggered in my mind that's, that that could be affecting the smaller scales, because mm. I would imagine I've uh, I've not done any calculations on this um, that a fifteen mil metal figure might be I don't know whether a, a, a twenty eight mil plastic figure would be the same price or cheaper. 
Um, you can certainly get a hell of a lot of figures, can't you, for in 28 mil? Yes. Yes, you can these days. And, you know, uh, and I found that um, there's not a huge saving with 15 mil, especially if you're doing large armies. Mm. Um it's more about, and I always think of my friends in the UK with this, um, I think it's more about the availability of the room you have to do yeah. your game. Now, yeah. in Australia, you know, we're all spread out. Our <laughs> homes are um, generally a little larger than um, they are in the UK. And um, so we can have a house with a 10 by 6 gaming table. Um, yeah. And so, therefore, the 28 mil is the natural scale. But if you live in a home in a nice, tight little suburb um, mm. and all you've got is a four-by-four four table, well, your 15 mil or your six mil scales are going to be awesome yeah. and that's because that's what you can accommodate. Yeah. So I think your location and the room you have does make a big difference to the way that you are going to build mm. your army for sure or yeah. armies. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that's not surprised me but uh, as – has pleased me with with doing this podcast is that there are a lot of people who uh, are fortunate enough and 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 have worked hard through all their lives and ended up with enough space to have a war games table and they're like little silos around different countries in the world where there's five or six mm. guys who meet up on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or whatever uh, and yes. do and do big games and then it's only through this podcast that I've kind of become more aware of that and it, and it's great to see that other people are into the similar uh, similar style of game that, that, that I am, uh, which is fantastic to see. Um, those guys are gold too, I think. Yeah. And those guys that, that have the space, yeah. you know, and, and, and we've talked earlier about, you know, I talked about Newcastle and the guy, Frank, mm. who brought me into yeah. the hobby in a big way. You know, he opened his house up on a Wednesday night yeah. and he had a large table. Yeah. And it, so it wasn't only me. If Over the years that I went to Frank's house, there would have been probably – 15, 20 different guys that came through there that all became war game converts yeah. because he had the space and the ability. And so, yeah. so when you meet someone that has that room, and I mean, you know, early in my life when I was newly married and had kids, I, I didn't have the space. We didn't mm. have the room or we couldn't afford to have a table yeah. like I have now. So when you do find someone like that and they're willing to share, it's wonderful. Yeah. It oh, is wonderful. It is fantastic. And, and mm. those, those people bring you bring new people into the hobby don't they and, and, yeah and, very much yeah and do you, do you think that um that um first sort of encounter with a big table with frank that that has that's kind of guided your gaming going forward because a lot yeah, of people I'll, a lot of people on yeah. this podcast have seen have talked about going into the war games holiday center in the uk and seeing oh. the massive massive table and, mm. and kind of and going that yeah that's what i want to do uh, mm. and you know yeah. the, the moving the family out and the, you know the <laughs> digging the, what digging the one lad digging the bottom of the garden now i'm putting a massive shed in there and it, it's almost i've likened it a couple of times before too i don't remember I don't know if you remember the uh, the film close encounters of the third kind with richard, Dreyf richard dreyfus where he builds that massive mountain in the living room that's uh, right yes <laughs> yes <laughs> I kind of that that's what I see in a lot of war games that I speak to. Yes. Yeah, look, I think those those people have an influence. Um, it's a good influence. I but you know, I I with war gaming, it's such a diverse hobby. If yeah, if your if your experience has been um, sitting opposite a dining room table with a mate and you've had some good games, a saga over yeah. a, a small four by four or a game of DBA, yeah. 
you know, all, all power to you. Yeah, it's the yeah. game and, and everything that's important, yeah, not the yeah. size. Yeah. And uh, what's the what, what are the driving factors for you then to keep big gaming? We've talked about the look of it. What, what kind of else is the um, what brings you, keeps you coming back? Uh, I, I guess I'm just so it's so ingrained in me now that I, I really I don't really think of doing um, anything much smaller. You know, I look at some of the guys on Twitter who are creating some wonderful small scale skirmish type games. Mm. There's one guy called Duke of the Blood Keep, I think his, yeah. his, his, his handle is, paints the most beautiful superhero type yeah. figures um and um he obviously has these small skirmish games that just mm. look magnificent and mm. and i think that if that was my experience and that's what i had i think that would be unreal um i don't know what it is but i just don't have a passion to want to generally try to recreate that mm. i can enjoy it i love looking at it but there's something in my dna now that says if i'm going to put a game on and it's not only me it's my guys that i also game with yeah uh, and we go around their houses regularly, they will have a big game set up for yeah. you. Yeah. And that's that's just the way we've evolved. Mm. And that, that um, friendship is very important, isn't it, with the people that you game with? Um, and you, quite often you, you can, you know, you can spend as much time with them as you do with your partner <laughs> or people the, at you, work. Yeah. You're absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. Yeah. So uh, we've I've done this before, but um, uh, a big shout out to all the partners of Wargamers throughout the world who <laughs> put yes. up with us. So, so true. And they put yeah. up with a lot. Yeah. But as my wife says, you're not down the pub chasing loose women. So <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there is an advantage to it is in her eyes. She can, she can safely see me painted. What was I doing yesterday? 28 mil Italian Wars carts I was doing yesterday, which I am so, so bored with, but I, I've got to do them. Uh, so, but she she can she knows I'm I'm good and I'm not off doing anything I shouldn't be doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> what's um what what sort of an example of a of a big game that you've played in the past that's maybe special or sticks out in your memory? Well, I, I we'll bring up. Um, young Chris again because yeah. he started this movement um, through Twitter and uh, Instagram about mm. um, a War of the Roses game and he, yeah. he focused in on St Albums, one of the, the first battles of the War mm. of the Roses. Um, uh, the last one we had here was the Battle of St Albums and we I set up the table and um, the pictures are all on Twitter and stuff mm. if anyone wants to have a look or some of them are on, on Instagram, which I'm only new into, as you understand, uh, yeah. trying to get into these different social media networks. Um, so Chris sort of set the challenge and I thought, you know, that sounds fun. I've been doing my War of the Roses army for yeah. a while now. Let's let's have a bull. And, and so we, we set it up and I had to paint furiously to get a few more units of bowmen done because you never have enough bowmen in War of the Roses. Um, and so we've been into that. Look, I've got a big game. We, we've just had a, a, a COVID outbreak here in South Australia in Adelaide. Mm. and uh, But this week... Tomorrow, I was supposed to do here at home with about uh, eight other guys uh, to Brook. We were doing the Aussies defending to Brook against um, Rommel's first attack. See, that was yeah. going to be in 15 mil on, the, on yeah. the big table. On the Friday, we were doing a English Civil War game using the two the strongest rule set. Yeah. And on when on the Sunday, 
this week. We're supposed to be doing a huge Italian Wars game, a famous battle that starts with F, which I've for no, forgotten. For That's no, it. It's on, on. The ta- it's on the table there. For oh, no, there bro. you go. <laughs> So that's what we were going to do. We were going to do that. And yeah. um, so that's that would have been a normal week where we had several games on and um, in different locations. Um, and they all would have been quite large games with at least uh, probably a minimum of half a dozen guys playing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, think, I think that that social aspect is, is a massive part of the big game, isn't it? The people around the table, the chat, yes. the laugh, the banter, um, yes. which, which when you're... Um, you know, one to one. If it's a if it's a serious game or a competition game, you don't have that aspect of it, which is a, no. a real shame. Um, and and you also in in a collaborative game, you have you're relying on the people next to you, who may or may not do what you want them to, who may That's or right. may or may not disappear off into the distance yeah. and leave your flag open. <laughs> and the. The other thing which makes it just so enjoyable is um, Australian red wine, Ken. So yeah. I live in uh, <laughs> in South Australia, home of the Barossa Valley and the best yeah. reds in the world. Yeah. So, yes, it's lovely. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so just before we finish this little short section, um, a lot of people that you'll I'm, – I'm sure you've seen this on Twitter that kid, kind of people are kind of wary of the big game uh, and um, maybe scared of it in some, in some ways. Um, mm. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who was maybe thinking about moving from skirmish to a bigger style game uh, and, and in, how would you encourage them to maybe aspire to go? something bigger yeah re- a really good question and um i think you know to to try and reverse it a little bit i think a lot of that you and i are in a situation and we're a time in our lives and, and many of us there are many out there like you and me where we can help those people yeah. to make those type of moves mm. we can set up games we can get them involved we can say to them what have you got paintable you bring a unit or you bring the two units yeah. you've got done and get them to participate yeah. using their figures um the other thing they can do is simple things like if they're into skirmish gaming they can base their figures that have been built for skirmishing into more of a rank and file type setup uh, if they mm. use the right type of movement trays. And so, therefore, yep. they can have their figures Cheers, that can mate. come out. Get mm. their, their figures can be used for um, a skirmish game or they can be ranked up mm. um, on, into these movement trays and be used in a big game scenario. So little things, um, start small. Don't, uh, you know, I think I talked to one guy on Twitter today about he was he set up for some reason, he set up on his table all of the figures that he had mm. that he'd made that weren't painted, and he was really quite depressed just looking at it. And I, <laughs> I, said to, I, <laughs> I said to him, I said, what you have is fantastic. It is mm. a fantastic-looking army, but don't look at the whole thing at once to paint. Yeah. Choose a unit, put everything away, and work on that unit. Yeah. One at a time. Start with your first figure and start to work through that. So it's it's about biting off what you can chew and setting yourself up with realistic, real goals about what you're mm. going to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. When you've got that first unit finished, you move on to your next one. And you will find just in the sheer course of daily life that you will start to knock units out. Mm. And, and they just start to appear 
overtime. And I think we have unrealistic expectations about the time that it takes. I mean, you've seen a lot of my stuff with mm. Normans and Saxons and Vikings, my dark age fetish that I went through for a while there. That was a project over two years. Mm. It didn't yeah. It didn't happen in two months. Yeah. It was two years of solidly ploughing through mm. and painting miniatures every friggin' day. So, you know, you've got to be prepared to put the time in and to realise that a good army will take some time. But if you mm. do it well and you do it right, it will be an army that you can have for life. Yeah. Yeah, no, very, very true. There's a there's a lad, um, Tom, on Twitter, Bushy Beard Tom. Um, how are you doing, mate? Oh, yeah, Tom. Uh, yeah, um, and, and he came to me talking about big projects, and, and that was kind mm. of the advice that I, I gave to him. He wanted to do 100 Years' War, and it's a case of you can't do this in, in a week. No, no, you can't. Some of, some of my collections, are, I mean, even my Italian Wars, which is relatively new for me, is four or five years old. Uh, and it, yes. Yeah, it, yes. it fills the table, but yes. I didn't do it yesterday. I did it. No. <laughs> it took a while to get it, it to where it is. It may well be something that you come back to time and time again over yeah. the next five or ten years. I mean, mm. we wargaming is full of tangents. And um, the latest shiny thing or the latest thing that we somehow are attracted to uh, or that we have to get finished for a game. So understand that the building of a large army is um, a long-term project. Yeah. It is. But once that project is done, it is extremely rewarding. And I think you will have learned a lot about yourself. Mm. You will have learned a lot about the hobby and the army that you've painted and um, and everything that you've learned is good stuff. It's yeah. nothing negative there because mm. you've been disciplined to finish it. You've been disciplined to move through it and to get these things done. Mm. Some days when I sit down at my table, if I'm really up to my neck in all sorts of stuff, I may only get a pair of shoes painted on one figure. <laughs> but it's but a pair of done. shoes it's that done. are done. Yeah. It's done. And I put it down and the next day I might do something. I try to do something every day. I don't always succeed. But if you just chip away a little bit at a time, a pair of shoes here, a hat there, a rifle there, it happens. It starts yeah. to come together. Yeah. Um, so, so be prepared to move in small steps. Mm. And I think those small steps come together. It's like saving money. You know, you watch the cents and the dollars will look after themselves. Yeah. It's, just, you know, it's the same principle with, with figures. Well, sound advice, mate. Sound advice. That, that's that's twice we've given decent advice in this episode. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, we're, going, we're going down. We're going downhill. We're going downhill. So uh, we will definitely go downhill in a minute because uh, we're going to move on and do the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz next. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to see how the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz transfers to Australia. Um, there are a number of regional references in here that Stephen may not understand. Um, so we'll, we'll give it a go. Um, and um, before we start, I'll just let you know that um, any answer, it, it, there's no right or wrong answer, as I say to the kids today. Um, these, these are just looking uh, how you reflect my opinions, and my opinions probably are wrong. <laughs> but as I, come from, as I come from Yorkshire, I'm never, ever going to admit to being wrong. Uh, 
And the may, you may notice some regional bias in some of these questions as well. So it's just 20 quick fire questions, mate. It'll either be, I'll give you two answers and you pick one or the other, or it'll be yes or no. Very, very straightforward. Okay. Um, so the first, the first question is go big or go home. Is that the question? That's the question. Do you go big or go home? I generally go big. Yeah, that's what I like to see. Um, oh, this could be interesting. Contrast paints, are they great or are they a gimmick? They're bloody awesome. Oh, we'll chat about that afterwards in the, uh, in the, in the big section. Um, when you come to choose um, uh, paintbrushes, do you pick Windsor & Newton or Yorkshire Made Pro Art? <laughs> I started with the with the pro heart, but I now now go to Windsor and Newton. Oh dear, dear, dear me! Um, Ninety six figures. Do you think that's an army or a pipe block? <laughs> uh, well, I'd have to. <laughs> it probably probably be a, a unit or two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, six by four table. Is that a big game or a small game? I think that's the starting of a big game. And um, when you, you're playing a battle, do you go for points-based or historical order of battle? Uh, generally points-based in most of our games these days, but we will also play historical scenarios as well. Cool. Um, when you're doing your painting, do you use a wet palette or an old bit of MDF to mix your paints? Um, I actually use old... Uh, cardboard not now when I say cardboard it's um, when you buy a car a Christmas card or a birthday card from a shop generally it's got a shiny 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 surface so I tend to use old business cards or any shiny piece of cardboard which I cut up into small pieces and I mix on that and I just uh, I don't use a wet palette you would think in Australia we would need to use a wet palette but I just think there are Waste of time. Excellent. Well, welcome the welcome to the wet palette haters club. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand them either. So nobody's nobody's explained them to me yet. So there we go. Gimmick. Uh, yeah, gimmick. Um, undercoat figures, black or white? Both. Um, you're offered a drink in a in a cafe. Uh, do you have Yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee? <laughs> I do like Yorkshire tea. Look, I'll, I have both, actually. I, I enjoy coffee and I enjoy Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, when, you, when you're making your War Games units, do you like them tightly packed or socially distanced with your figures? Uh, uh, tightly packed, especially if they're a, a figure like knights that fought shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Definitely, definitely tightly packed. No, that's what we like to hear. Um, you're offered uh, a two-hour club game or a weekend monster game. Which would you go for? <laughs> uh, the weekend Brilliant um, I'm not sure how this one will translate But um, Avocados um, Are they good food or just posh Mushy peas <laughs> We do like it We love avocados here, we grow a lot of them in Australia So I'm very happy to have Avocado with Vegemite Avocados oh, and Vegemite Oh, excellent Well Avocados in Yorkshire, it's like a different language. We have, we, have, <laughs> we, have, we have mushy peas that we get from the fish and chip shop, and that's what it looks like. Yes, so they I've, do. And- I've got no idea what avocado is or why it exists, but there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, round or spherical dice, are they allowed or banned on your table? I, I don't think I've used either. Good, because they're a, a nightmare. 
Okay. No. <laughs> no. Just normal, normal square dice. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, if somebody brings them, immediately ban them because they'll roll them and then mm. they'll, they'll shoot off 10 foot down the table, damage mm. four or five pikes on units <laughs> and knocks them. And then, and then they'll roll off the end of the table and you'll spend yep. a week trying to find them. And then you'll, yep. you'll st- stand on them as you walk around the table and injure your foot. Um, I've, and then, I've and seen then, them on Twitter. Yeah. And then, of course, anything off the table doesn't count. So you have to roll them again. So you it's just happening. Um, would you, uh, do you like a, a good table in a set of rules? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like a casualty table or something similar? Uh, I'm not following, Ken. Give it to me in a different way. Um, so a lot of rule sets today will have sort of just factors or you'll roll a dice in a five or six hits. Whereas in old school rules, you would have like a table with across the top, you would have number of figures and down the side, you would okay. have your dice roll. Do you like yep. the old school table or do you prefer the newer methods? Um, I've played both and I probably would tend to go with the newer method more often than not these days. Okay. And um, 28 mil is king, yes or no? It sure is. It sure is. Um, unpainted miniatures, are they allowed on the table during a game? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> if it's somebody that's new and they're trying and they're, you know, they, they're genuinely yeah. going to paint stuff, I will allow some. But um, if it's somebody who's a lazy bastard, well, no, they can bugger <laughs> off. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that definition. Um, now, this is a tough one. Are you aware of, um, football will probably mean something different to you than it does to me? That's... Um, that's that, mm-hmm. big, that's that big round pitch with the four posts, isn't it, over there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're, we're talking soccer, I think is maybe... Correct, uh, yeah, yeah, soccer, uh, yeah. So if you have to choose between Bradford City and the Bradford City top I'm wearing is not any clue to the right answer, um, or Leeds United, Bradford or Leeds, which would you choose? Oh, gee, that's a hard one. Okay, I'll go with you, Ken, but Leeds sounds good. I did, I did enjoy Leeds. Yeah, dirty, dirty they are, the Fowlers, Fowlers. Um, yeah, if you had to choose between Yorkshire and the other place over the hill, which would you choose? Gee, I, I, I did enjoy Yorkshire very much. Yeah, good lad. Um, and then finally, last question, um, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil? Yes or no? <laughs> Um, I'll say no. I'll say no because I think they've played an important part in uh, bringing people into the hobby. Um, the way they run their business and everything just opens a million type of questions. And uh, but when we were over there in two thousand and nineteen, I visited. I visited their premises. Yeah. And I must say that when you go through their exhibition halls, and you look at the history of them and what they've done for our hobby. It is enormous. Yeah, as frustrating as they are. So no, they're not. They're not, a, they're not of the devil, but they're close. Brilliant. Well, that's the end of the quiz, and and um, our uh, fourth generation supercomputer has worked out that you've got seventy percent, which is um, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, uh, we've not quite worked out yet whether a low score is good meaning that you disagree with me. So that's the end of the quiz, and we'll be back in a second with our big topic.
So, cracking quiz from down under there. We've uh, 70% on, on a Yorkshire-based quiz from Adelaide. I don't know how far how far we are between each other. It's uh, it's quite a long way. It's uh, what is it? What is a flight to the UK? How long does it take from from Australia? 16 hours minimum. 16 hours. Oh my god. That's and, that's non-stop. Wow. That's a lot. That's um that's a long way. That's a very mm. long way. Um and you said you came over, didn't you? Um, couple of, yeah, just before lockdown. Was that the first yes. time you've been to the UK? Oh no, I've been to the UK many times. Love it. My wife is from the UK. She's an Essex girl. Oh, all right. Means, <laughs> means interesting things over there. Um, so, uh, and I've got a my I've got a bit of family history in the UK. So uh, yeah, we love the UK. We've been several times. Um, probably at least eight times over my life. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, um, I've got a few things on my list to cover in um, more kind of a free-form chat at the end here. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is social media um, and, uh, and and Twitter initially. Um, we said at the start there, you've got over 6,000 followers on Twitter, which for for Wargaming is kind of, you're kind of in the Kim Kardashian uh, area for, for war gaming there um you know that, that's um that, that's a big big amount of followers so just tell me about your kind of journey into twitter and, and um you know how did you start with it i've been on twitter now for probably um at least 11 years i think and um when I started on Twitter, it was uh, associated with my work, so it didn't have anything to do with wargaming. But um, over time, I began to notice that there were wargaming posts on different people that I followed. And so it's morphed from something that was for work into now just being totally about uh, the hobby. Um, I guess I have really enjoyed the camaraderie, mm. the welcoming, the um, advice, the pictures, the, it, it's just been, from a gaming and hobby point of view, it's been one of those places that uh, has just really met a need that I had and mm. um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, I think you can get that need met um, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. There's many different forms out there, as you know, mm. but Twitter is probably my favourite platform at this stage. So, mm. Yes. And um, obviously, eleven years is a lot, is a is a long time on on uh, a social media format. And how how do you, mm. how do you think it's changed over those years? Wow, it's um it's really changed um, enormously um, in the way that we interact with people. And I guess you know Twitter in itself, you know, it had a very limited word count initially, and they mm. extended that somewhat, which made it a lot better. And they they're always tinkering and trying new things. You know, the photograph format and everything now is somewhat better. Um, the frustrating thing I think I find with Twitter is it's not easy to keep material or show your material over a period of time. In other words, mm. if I wanted to find a post that I that I, if I put some photos up of a of a War of the Roses unit three years ago, it would take me forever. There is no fast way for me to go back and find that unit to show it to you. Yeah. And I found that over time that I had posted a lot of units, but I could never actually go back and find them um, on Twitter itself. It just took too long. Mm. So that's why I ventured into Instagram um, because you can have uh, all of your uh, photos are right there 
mm. easy to access in an easy to access format. And I've found that quite enjoyable that I can put up what I regard as being my best stuff um, and have it in a format that people can see, that I can see and locate stuff really quickly and easily. Mm. So Twitter's downfall is that it, you can't do that. Twitter's positiveness is that it's um, it's generally the first platform by which news is broadcast. Yeah. So that's always interesting. And I always try to post things first on Twitter before they go anywhere else. The, the people on Twitter have been very, very accepting and very mm. just accommodating and lovely, really, just yeah. nice guys yeah. and girls. Yeah, mm. I, I think... Um, the community that uh, that we're in, uh, the war games mm. community on Twitter, um, is quite friendly um, and very helpful. And um, I've had a couple of issues on there over the years, but um, when you compare that to the positive interactions, it's a very tiny minority. Um, is that something that you've you found as well? Yeah, very much. And I, I, you talk to people about Twitter who are not war gamers or outside mm. of our community and they think it's a cesspit they really yeah. do um and 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 i've experienced that if you go outside and you start to look in some different discussion things and um and politics and whatever else it is it is that it can be a cesspit it's it is just uh it's somehow we have carved out of the corner of twitter <laughs> a really accommodating yeah. lovely niche that is so different to the way the rest of it operates so, yeah yeah it works and yeah. uh, so uh, this uh, this podcast target audience is um um middle-aged people in sheds painting soldiers <laughs> <laughs> perfect perfect <laughs> so uh with that demographic in mind, there you know there might be people who 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 aren't on social media or aren't on Twitter. Is it something that mm. you would recommend um, if they're into the gaming and to get in with the right crowd, if you like? Yeah, look, you know, um, really good point. I think because of our age and who we are, mm. um, I grew up in various communities. As a young person, the way that you got to meet people was you associated with them, whether it was a church or whether it was a school mm. or different clubs yeah. or just different groups. You meet mm. people face-to-face um, and talk to them. And um, I spent um, a lot of my time growing up in those sorts of environments and, and then I joined a group here in South Australia called the Country Fire Service, which is a volunteer for firefighters because mm. we, unfortunately we have a lot of bushfires in South Australia um, and I formed a lot of really close friends there um, and this is going back to when I first started on Twitter mm. and I've always wondered I've heard a lot of young people talk about the fact that they experience community mm. through a social media network and I thought bullshit <laughs> you can't yeah it's bullshit you can't experience community on a computer and yeah. with people from all over, but I have changed my mind mm. completely. Yeah. Because I have now um, experienced real community with mm. people like yourself. I mean, Ken, we'll probably never meet face to face, but you know, between our contacts through social media, we're dealing with people from Russia mm. right to our Argentina to Afghanistan yeah. to to the Pacific Island. There are people who are talking with us on a daily basis from all around the world mm. and we have community. Yeah. And so if you're finding, 
you know, we grew up in a time where we said earlier, you painted a figure and you put it in a box and it went under the bed and you, you, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it hardly ever saw daylight. Yeah. Now we have a forum where mm. we can take paint a unit, we can put it up, we can receive feedback, we can receive praise or the joy mm. that people are getting from looking at it. We can answer questions about it, help other people who want to go in that direction. This is opening a forum to us that we have never, mm. ever had in yeah. our life. Yeah. And and it, it is something to be experienced and, and treasured and um, mm. just enjoyed because yeah. it's open this hobby like nothing else ever has yeah and it's, it's connecting people from around the world i had i had a lad on uh, instagram uh, contact me from south korea um and, and i'm i've kind of it, I was, he was just asking some really nice questions and basic stuff about what i did and because he was trying to get into the hobby and um mm. it was only after i'd, I'd I'd, I'd answered a couple of questions and he was really grateful and all oh, thank you very much and 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 I'd wandered off to make a cup of tea but I kind of went I've just been helping somebody or talking to somebody in South Korea do you know where that is? I, I'm kind of going back to school geography and pointing out where it yeah. is on a map and thinking that's just absolutely unbelievable and and obviously we're, 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 we're talking 16 hours flight away between the two of us yes um and like you say, we probably wouldn't normally meet under normal circumstances, but we're able to share our love and our joy for this hobby through Correct. social media. That's right. So I met you on Twitter. Um, yeah. I like like the way you did your horses. I've asked you questions about how you did all that. You explained it all to me. Yeah. I mean, I've you've given me help and advice. Mm. Um, in 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 a previous life, we would never have been able to get that in, yeah. in another in, in any other way. So, look, I think it's a positive. I think our attitude mm. and the way we approach it, the way we deal with our, with people in those forums, will keep it in a positive way. Yeah, um, and it will always be something that's helpful. And um, and as long as it's like that, I think it's a real benefit and no harm whatsoever. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way of. of- spreading information and helping people when i was when i was um a couple of podcasts ago i spoke to pete morby who um is the owner and sculptor and um all right all round one man band awesomeness that is elite miniatures uh, and he was kind of talking about when he started and and um nipping into pete peter gilder's shed and and being shown how to paint horses with oils and and it was like uh it was like the magic circle almost in that mm. you, can't, you kind of had to be inducted and then you were eventually told how to paint with oils and uh whereas now you can you know that's how i do it and people like it and they, they contact me and go oh how'd you do that mm. and you can just mm. share it straight away was exactly that, yeah was that um what did you have a sort of philosophy when you started on twitter to make it a, a helpful uh, for other people did you did you think of that as you started or does it kind of generate itself well, you know, I, I don't want to say that it was um, a deliberate strategy but I have seen and I guess all of us who have experienced social media have experienced trolls and people who yeah. want to be negative and tear other people down I, I have seen that but and I thought to myself you know that's not who I want to be. It's not what I want to be. Mm. And I want to be able to at least help people. And if um, if I ask for advice and people are willing to give it, then I need to be able to share my ideas and stuff as mm. well. And so I just set about 
um, in the same way that I would deal with anybody new who I had met on the street um, or in a cafe or something. So I treat people with respect. If I can help them and answer their questions um, and have something they like, fine. You know, that's, mm. that's what it's all about. So it's just the way I go about doing my daily business, really. Yeah. I think um, some of the, the Warhammer stuff seems to be, I've noticed a couple of times, as, as, as my following started to get bigger, I've started to sort of overlap a little bit with Warhammer. Uh, and yep. some, of their, some of their stuff seems to be quite toxic at the moment. Um, which I'm hmm. trying to stay away away from. Yeah, I agree. A, which is a real shame. There seems to be a lot of, hmm. you know, if you're um, a, a female or look a bit different, people just target you straight away. Whereas in the in the historical hmm. section of Twitter, it just doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, it just it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter at all. And I think that I think that's. And a I very... think if anyone tried that, if somebody tried that in the historical section, I think we would see a range of people come in and shut it down. Yeah. You know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take it. So, um, and yeah, yeah. The Warhammer world can be toxic at times. Um, Mm. but all I try to do is encourage those people to keep, remember Mm. what you're here for. You're here to show us what you're working on, show us what you've completed. Mm. And that's, what's the most important thing. And let's let's talk about that. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's very important for us to remember how positive, Wargaming, historical wargaming Twitter is, and what a great place mm. it is. And I encourage people to come on board uh, and, mm. and kind of join us. Um, you mentioned um, a little bit, gone on to Instagram. What sort of other social media um, are you on? So, um, uh, Twitter is uh, old wargamer. I go under the old yeah. wargamer tag. Um, Instagram is uh, wargaming Stephen. Yeah. Um, I'm on I'm on Facebook. I've always been on Facebook since Facebook started, mm-hmm. and I'm just there as Stephen Wold. But I, I am in a couple of different groups, and I post in those groups every now and then. But I just find the Facebook groups not as um, just not as engaging, or not as willing to mm. be constructive and positive. Yeah. Um, it, 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 there's just something there's just something different about it. I still post in some of those groups from time to time. Um, and I like to share stuff on them, but I don't feel a real connection with a lot of people in that space. Yeah. I'm, I'm still learning Instagram. I've only been there for, oh, God, I don't know, maybe, maybe a year or maybe mm. less. Um, so I'm finding that a little bit of a challenge to break into and learn how things work in that arena. But the more I see it, the more I like. There's not a, I don't, I find there's, for me, there's not a lot of interaction with other people as yet. Yeah. Whereas Twitter, people will chat, you know, they'll talk, they'll ask you questions. Instagram, you get a thumbs up or you get the occasional, that's nice. Um, But you don't get, people don't talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Presence in across quite a lot of social media, and um, I, I certainly agree with that. The Instagram is the kind of lowest level of interaction, and it's very mm. much it's, it's very much a photograph ticker like that, and and that's yes. it. You, and you can the num- and and you can you can judge that by the number of times that you will put in your little number of characters underneath the photograph. Here's some twenty eight mil. Italian Wars, Perry Miniatures. And then mm. the first question that you will get is, what scale are they? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you can tell yep. that people just aren't yeah. read. They're interacting with the image 
um, mm -hmm. and they're not interacting with the the the, the blurb. Whereas the content, with, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas on Twitter, you get a little bit more reading mm -hmm. of the because there's a there's a, I don't know what character it's on now. It was 140, wasn't it? I don't know what it is anymore. Mm. Um, but yeah. Pe yeah, people don't read anymore. Yeah, people will tend uh, so you get a little bit more on Twitter, more yeah. on Facebook. But then, if I do, do, you run a blog or have you run a blog in the past? I've avoided blogs yeah. um, because only only and I, I and I there are some blogs like yours um, and others out there that I really enjoy. Mm. But I I I just feel there's there are enough voices. I don't feel that I have mm. anything really unique that I can add yeah um so i'm happy to let other people um do their stuff in the mm. blogs yeah I, I i find that it um each each different type of social media has its own advantages so if i want to do a blog post for of a scenario for a game i'm playing i can't do that mm. on twitter because you, you, you're you're halfway no, through the first paragraph can't. of your introduction, and that's it. You're out of characters. Um, so, Good. so that's 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 what I've used the different medias for, um, and um, and YouTube as well. I've got stuff on there. Is that something that you've looked at? I've, no, I, I have never done a YouTube clip. I, I like watching other people's stuff. Yeah. So now's now we're gonna we're gonna move on now to worldwide challenges, um, and this is your opportunity, Steve, to apologise to everyone <laughs> in the world that you've that you've made paint obscure German uh, nationalities over the years. So um, just uh, explain to uh, the listeners what's mm. going on at the moment with your Bavarian challenge. Okay, um, some some time ago, I I had some Brunswickers that I wanted to paint, and I just thought to myself, it'd be nice to paint along with somebody, and yeah. um, so let's see who's out there that's got some Brunswickers that they'd like to finish. Mm. And um, and so I tried a uh, what I called a Brunswicker painting <laughs> challenge, and the challenge was um, you get what you want to paint, don't care what scale, don't care how many, but if it's a Brunswicker, it's allowed, and together we're going to paint Brunswickers from this time to this time. Yeah. And I was absolutely blown away <laughs> by yeah. the amount of people who thought, wow, I've got some Brunswickers, or I've always wanted to do some Brunswickers. Yeah. And here's this community thing again that yeah. we were just yeah. talking about. Yeah. And they jumped into it and on board. And even though they might not have wanted to do it, they wanted to be in the community and they wanted to have a part. And so they started the Paint Brunswickers. And we yeah. had an absolutely fantastic time. Well, this year I thought, I've got some Bavarians <laughs> that I need to paint. <laughs> and um, I might... I might try another challenge. Well, I can tell you I tried and I have just been overwhelmed yet yep. again by the amount of people. Um, and I don't think it's that I don't think it's because they're Bavarians. I think it's because people just want to have that experience of painting along with others. Yeah. Yeah. And and showing what they've done and being able to talk about it and, and have others talk about it and show them stuff and and it's just creating that environment of a nice little click of people that are all painting something that's the same at the same time. Yeah. So I'm I'm overwhelmed. I never experienced or I never expected that this would get the legs that it has got. But it's a lot of fun. It's especially fun for people like you and me because we see, I do see a lot of newer people who come in who have never painted Napoleonics yeah. and they'll start. They'll have one a of go. These little nations, yeah. and they'll have a go, and yeah. they are just 
they go off, they have a ball. And it's not me, yeah. it's 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 the community of people who are painting Brunswickers or Bavarians who mm. are interacting with them and talking to them and helping them that they just it's it's a wonderful thing. So I'm 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 stoked with it. It's a concept that's really worked. It'll just, for me, it'll be a once-a-year thing. Nothing yeah. stops anyone else from ever doing a painting challenge. It's not a, yeah. a concept that anyone owns. But, hey, it's just something I tried, and on social media it seems to have worked. It, it doesn't. There's a lot of people involved, um, and there was a, mm. a hell of a lot of people involved in the Brunswicker Challenge uh, yes. last time <laughs> as well. Um, I just, I just, well, this is just a way my quirky mind works. I can just imagine somebody like front rank who have sat there with <laughs> um, like bo- boxes of Brunswickers that haven't sold for years. <laughs> uh, uh, and then one day they'll get they'll get oh we've got an order for some Brunswickers today that's nice we're not we'll just blow the dust off them send them and then, there's another order for Brunswickers coming and then it's avalanche and then they're having to get the moulds out again and that's right and I've imagined the same thing and I'm thinking they must Perry's in front rank they must curse me yeah. Um, and the other company I think that hates me is um, is Victrix because I keep doing challenges with stuff that they're just about to release. <laughs> right? um, so, look, oh, I think you're spot on. I really do think you're spot on. And I'm open to offers from companies that want to come forward and get me to run a challenge. But, yeah. uh, look, it's it's just one of those no. things. No, I don't care what where the figures are from. I don't care what scale. I don't care if they want to do one command figure or an army. Yeah. If they're painting a Bavarian, then they're welcome. Well, the, the, uh, I was speaking last podcast with John Lander and um, he did a massive 72-foot market garden game. And, Ooh. Uh, yeah, a, a company in America, in 54 mil as well. Um, oh. <laughs> and uh, a company in America just brought out some 54 mil Shermans and he went along and ordered 60 of them. Oh. Uh, for, for this game and and i can wow. just i could just imagine the two lads who or, or whoever started the company sat there like ordering yachts and and villas in the miami and stuff like that because thinking these are selling like hotcakes and then <laughs> after that 60 nothing absolutely nothing yeah, that's right <laughs> yeah we, we, we are we, we're teasing oh, we're teasing figure manufacturers throughout the yes year. we are, we <laughs> so, are. so is this has this challenge got a, a hashtag or so people can get involved uh, in it yeah the hashtag is um hashtag bavarians so yeah. that's where people are posting the work that they're doing and that's a could be a work in progress shot Mm. or or a completed unit or uniform information. So if they look under the hashtag Bavarians, mm. uh, they can get involved. Not a problem. Love um, to have them. Yeah. And how when is it running from and to? Uh, the official start date is probably uh, mid-August. We like to give people a bit of time to uh, get what they need. Like I, uh, I didn't um, have... Um, of manufacturers to, to actually make them. Yes, that's right. So, well, some people... <laughs> I had a drawer full of Bavarians, but I realised that Foundry made a, a Bavarian triad and I didn't have it. Ah, right. So yeah. I, I've ordered that, so I've got to have the right colour, so I've got to wait for that to arrive. So the official start date will be sort of mid-August and, and, mm. and times are, are, are a little bit loose um, mm. because you could imagine trying to do anything on social media is like trying to herd cats when yep. it's across the world. So yeah. you, you can't be rigid 
in any sense whatsoever. Mm. And it'll finish um, approximately the end of October. So people will have roughly three months. And in that time is when everyone will be focused. They'll be challenged. The challenge is for themselves. They challenge themselves. I am going to get this finished. I'm going to get this project, this Bavarian project finished, however big it is or however small it is. And in that time period with others, they'll work until they get it finished. And then at the end, we um, try to have a big people to parade their stuff. And um, it's, it's good. It's a lot of fun. Just a lot of simple, harmless yeah. fun. Just as a bit of a warning, have you got any other minor German nation figures lying around in, <laughs> in drawers just so I'm ready for next year? <laughs> I, I, the Bavarians came out of the woodwork. I, I don't know where that came from. So I don't know what will they'll be in 12 months' time. Brilliant. Um, just moving on from there, we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier on, um, the 3D printed figures. Um, mm. do you, Calab, Caballero, I can't say it. Caballero, yeah. Yeah, where, whereabouts are they from? And um... Ooh, Okay. Um, I, found, um, I found them on Instagram. Uh, so on Instagram, there is at Caballero Miniatures, C-A-B-A-L-L-E-R-O. Oh, Caballero, mm. which I think just means gentleman or sol- no, soldier. It might mean soldier, gentleman soldier in yeah. Spanish or something. Mm. So um, I saw some on on Instagram and I went, oh, my God, they're beautiful. And they're 3D. I, I'd never seen historical miniatures done mm. really well in um, 3D printing. with lots of nice fantasy stuff. And so I got in contact with the guy and I saw that he was on Patreon and I thought, well, shit, I can do this. I can sponsor yeah. him 10 bucks a month and nothing. Mm-hmm. And he makes the SDLs. Of it. He's doing he's doing the um, the Normans or the Spanish Crusaders and Moors as well, African yeah. Moors. Oh, brilliant. And, and he's on the camels he's just been doing now. Uh, oh, unbelievable. Mm. And so I have just been captivated by the quality, mm. the animation that he can get into figures. The detail. I mean, you know, you think of a of a of a, of a rider's foot in a stirrup. Mm. The stirrup's always moulded against the yeah. the foot. There is in the, his figures when you print them, there is room around the shoe in the wow. stirrup. <laughs> wow! And and a strap that goes over a shoulder will go out to the shield as well. It, so it, and the yeah. strap's not just against the figure's chest. So this three D printing can just allow you to do detail in miniatures, which we, we are just not used to. Yeah. Um, when, you know, after 40 years of painting metal miniatures, this is a new experience, a totally mm. new experience. And I am just gobsmacked with the quality and the detail. The detail is so fine. The chain mail on these is just beautiful and they paint up a real treat. And you can print them yeah. if you want in 6 mil or 54 mil. Mm. They're just amazing figures. It was, I think, I think looking at your posts on um, uh, Twitter of them, that's the thing that amazed me looking at them is how detailed they are because I've been yes. um, mildly disappointed is probably the best way of putting uh, 3D prints I've seen in the past, mm. um, historical miniature-wise. Even, even tanks have kind of not really done it for me. Um, but the, no. the figures that you've shown uh, are amazing. So are you are you buying the, is the STL file? Do you buy the file and then somebody prints them out for you? How does it work? Yeah, so um, if, if you don't want to sponsor him on his Patreon, well, then, yes, you can go to a website which is called 
my minis, I my minis, or I don't, anyway, I can't remember yeah. its name, but it is, it's a website that has a lot of these people um, on it who design the STLs. Um, yeah. Most of them, as I said, are designing um, fantasy miniatures. Mm. Um, but he is the only guy so far that I know of that is designing a historical range. Yeah. And um, that's what attracted me being an historical gamer was mm. that, I mean, there's a company called, I think, uh, Highlands Miniatures, which do the best undead knights <laughs> I have ever seen. Yeah. But um, but this guy is, is the only guy that has done historical. So you can go on to one of – if you just Google Caballero Miniatures, you can go and you can buy the STL from him. Mm. And if you've got a resin printer, you can print as many as you as you want once mm. you've got that. The other thing I've learned about resin printing, and, and Cameron's teaching me this all the time, is he just – he does a mirror image of the figure. So it's not – when you get the file, you can print the figure – Mm. and he might be facing to the right, but then he can print the same figure so that he's facing to the left. So ah, you actually right, get yeah. some variety yeah. in there yeah. as well. And sometimes the um, the artist who has designed the figure will design them so that they can be printed with an open hand so you can insert your own weapon yeah. or a hand that is facing with us upwards so that the spear is thrusting down or this yeah. hand is upwards like that so that's more like a standard yeah. bearer. Yeah. So. The variety that we can, the variety that 3D files and this 3D printing opens to us as war gamers and miniatures, it, it's it's tremendous. It just mm. is, for me, I am learning so much about what this really offers us moving forward. Yeah. Um, now, at the moment, I don't think there is a big enough market in the 3D world that mm. it's going to affect any of our miniature manufacturers. But I think for those of us who are looking for the odd really nice niche figure or vignette or mm. something um, to complement what we already have. I think there will be a space for that. Mm. And I think the other thing I've found is that I've painted a few, I'm um, not a real fan of plastics, although I will put up with them here and there, and I've painted a few Victrix. Victrix frustrate me from time to time because mm. their spears tend to break. Um, yeah, they're quite brittle. You, 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 you look at them and you break. The resin Mm. on these figures is quite solid they um they will take quite a lot of punishment and they're a lot more um firm and harder than the Mm. plastic so look it's i'm on a massive learning curve with this Mm. okay and i'm happy to and i'm trying to share as much of that journey as i can um with people on twitter and instagram but it is it is a wonderful experience Mm. to have and to to find a quality range of figures like this makes it yeah so much more enjoyable. Yeah. It's it's the first one I've sat up and looked at and gone, oh, they're nice. Uh, mm. Is that is that is that in relation to the the quality of printer that Cameron's got? Is it has he got a yes. top of the range? Yes, he has. He just bought himself a, a resin printer. I, I couldn't tell you what it was, um, mm. but the guy I work with who owns the uh, hobby shop, he has a resin. Now he has a yeah, he has a resin printer, but it's the one that's good for printing large pieces like terrain and stuff like that. And he printed me a Panzer four with his printer. Mm. And when I got it, I sort of looked at it and I thought, shit, this is pretty bad. But it's, yeah. you know, you get all those lines on yeah. them and and, yeah. and 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 you gotta try and and anyway, I've had nothing but frustration trying to clean that thing up and make it look half decent. But when Cameron prints with this resin that he uses, the figures come out no flash. No mm-hmm. flush whatsoever. Okay, yeah. they are they are clean 
completely and the only thing you may have to remove after because he takes away all the supports and stuff from yeah. the printing is there may be a little bit of a support left here and there and you just touch it with a with a with a knife and it drops off and they're they're a joy to work with they're just yeah. so fast oh that's it i certainly think it's going to be one for the future um and it's great yes. to see you see you getting involved um so yes. um we've just got a couple of things to finish uh talk about before we finish um and um listeners we're, gonna, we're probably going to get technical here on a number of things so um if you want to get your head underneath a pillow uh, this probably <laughs> might be a good time to do it god um right. so um i like when I, I'm a bit of a painter myself, you might have noticed. Um, and I like to speak about to other painters about their techniques and tips and, and, and what have you. Um, and one thing that you've that you've used that I've drop kicked in over the over the crossbar of the rugby pitch uh, are contrast paints. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you get involved with them and what have you used them for? Um, okay, so I saw them they, when they came in at the shop i got a few and i tried them i think the ones if you never tried them before the ones to start with are the colors like snakebite leather mm. and uh gore gunter fur they're mm. browns the browns are sensational at the time um i was working on dark age army so i was doing a lot of saxons and a lot of mm. vikings and so, you know, you can imagine your standard Saxon and Viking warrior, you're going to find a bit of fur, you're going to find a bit of leather. Um, and so the browns for me worked really well. And so I soon branched out until I had all of the colours. The trick with contrast paints is the way that you vary the look is by varying your undercoat. Mm. And if you start with a nice bright white undercoat and you put your contrast yellow, orange or red or blue onto that straight, it's going to be very bright, vibrant pop colour. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's no good for the dark ages. I need to deal with that. So what, <laughs> yeah. I, so what I learned was, okay, I started to experiment and I started to use, rather than really bright uh, Vallejo um, uh, white um, paint, I started to use maybe an off-white or an ivory, mm. um, even uh, light grey. Mm. And then what I would do is I would, once the figure was primed, um, I would then put a coat of Agrix Earthshade over the top of the figure mm. and let it dry. So already on that figure that was white or grey or, um, or even light yellow, it already had the recesses highlighted by the Agrix. Mm. And then over the top of that, I would apply the contrast, which would yep. then accentuate that yet again. And it gave the figure, rather than a clean pop look mm. that, was sharp and shiny it dulls it right down and it made it look like it was sort of used and dirty and i would i would have likened it to an on-campaign look okay so all yeah. of a sudden my figures went from being something that was really dazzling with the nice bright contrast paint even the yellows the reds it didn't matter what it was going over a white or or whatever um base coat the agrix would do a tremendous job mm. in dulling it down. The speed by which you can paint figures with contrast paints is fantastic. I was finishing them in the, um, probably half the time. I'm, I'm a foundry painter generally. I paint with the foundry mm. triads. Yeah. I do the layering method of painting. I enjoy that very much. That's always been my traditional way of painting. I was painting figures in half the time. Yeah. And one coat, one coat finished. Mm. You know, it looked so good, the finish that I was just so happy with it. I found that there was, there were, 
every now and then if it was a commander or somebody in a front rank that looked important, I may highlight the contrast, mm. but nine out of ten times I wouldn't even bother to do that. It looked yeah. good enough when it was done. And so I, I found yeah. them to be wonderful. And have you, have you developed that style? Have you start, have you, do, you, do you mix in with the styles of painting or if, you, if you're going to go for contrast, do you go for that on the figure? Yeah, look, I, 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 I do do some across the board. There's every now and then something will, if there's a particular cape that a miniature has, I think, oh, that would look lovely in the, one of the contrast greens or one of the blues and I might paint it white and do it that way. Mm. But generally, the rule of thumb for me is if it's undercoated white, it's generally going to have contrast paints used on it. But if it's undercoated black, it's going to be done in the traditional method. Yeah. Uh, War of the Roses Knights are a great example. Um, anything that's a man at arms um, that has a helmet and chain mail and bits of armor, contrast paints are just too hard. They don't do metal at all. And yeah. um, so it's just too difficult picking out bits and pieces. So I'll just paint those black and start straight into with our favourite, uh, um, what's it called, Tinny Tin? Tinny Tin. I was going to talk to you yeah. about Tinny Tin. Yeah. What and a And then pain. go for my silver. It's yeah. fantastic. So I'll, I will paint those traditional, but if it's a, if it's an unarmoured billman, um, I will undercoat him white, do the agric surf shade over the top of that, and then I will paint him in contrast colours. Uh, I wish I could show you uh, two of the figures done the old way and the new way yeah. together. Mm. And um, I don't think that you would notice a huge difference. I think mm. both of them you would like. They are a little different, but together they look good as well. So you've got to, you've got to give contrast a bit of time. Mm. You've got to get used to it. And, and just because every time you use a contrast colour, it, it's almost like it's different. It's mm. something's different about it. It's just yeah. that type of paint. And, and in fact, that makes it very enjoyable for me. Yeah. Have you tried it with a um, a lighter colour shade of the same colour underneath? Um, um, have you tried that? Contrast doesn't it doesn't work well. If When you put – you can double up the colours. I could paint with the yellow and then let it dry and then go over the yellow again. All it does is really just darken it. Right. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't tend to do any more than what it's already done. In mm. fact – because because the contrast paints pull away from raised areas, the raised areas tend to become light and the deep recesses become dark. So it's doing what we would do naturally if we were painting in a layered manner. We'd want the recesses to be dark and the light mm. to higher areas to be light. Mm. It's doing that for you. Yeah. So do, going over it again twice doesn't tend to make any mm. difference. And and what's the what difference have you found then between um, using that and using inks, for example, or washes. Yeah, they do. Inks and washes work in a different way. Um, you'd put those over existing paint already. Mm. So what contrast paint is saving you the time of is why one coat of paint, by one coat of contrast paints, it's generally doing the same as me painting um, a base red and then highlighting with a red ink. Yeah, so you're kind of cutting a stage out. And how how long how long would you say it's taken you to get up to speed, if you like, with contrast paints? Uh, I, I would say uh, a good twelve months of just trying. I think you've got to be willing to experiment until you find your style mm. that you like with them, and you find the undercoat that you like with them. I was very tempted to try and do a unit of Bavarians with <laughs> contrast paint. Yeah, I still might. 
I don't know, but I think I think I could make it work. I think yeah. the only thing that wouldn't work for me is the white. The white is not good. The white looks okay on um, a horse or something, but I like to the straps on the Bavarians. Those white straps going mm. across their chests. I'm just not sure that I can make that look good enough with contrast paints. I'm not sure mm. I get the depth that I want there in that. Contrast paints work well on things that have uh, lots of uh, grooves, yeah. like, a, like a cloak or a, or a skirt or something. If it's if, like, if, or if you think of a space marine, space marines um, don't look good with contrast paints because they've got smooth surfaces and yeah. contrast paints just pulls away and runs off of the smooth uh, yeah. surfaces. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got a figure like the Bavarians, which just have these straight straps across mm. their chest and there's nowhere for the paint to sit, so it's just going to want to pull away all the time. So that's that's the problem I'm thinking about having on trying to do the white straps. Mm. But as far as the uh, cornflower blue on their lovely on their uniform or, the, or if they had red facings or something, I think I could make that work really, really well. I'll probably just stick with the traditional method with them. Persians, um, ancient Persians, Archimedic Persians is another army I'm painting and contrast paints go well there because they're such a colourful, vibrant army. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and so I'm finding contrast paints work fantastic on them. Yeah, it's interesting to, to, to hear you uh, to say that because I've seen, I've been quite, I've been following it quite closely, but it's not, mm. I, I've got a method of painting and I'm... You have. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of happy with that and I've not really... Yeah. Um, you, I often find um, that Yorkshire Gamer is genuinely or normally about seven years behind everything else. So mm-hmm. people have been doing podcasts for about seven years when I start one. Um, <laughs> people have been doing a YouTube channel for about seven years when I start one. And um, very similar with, with changes in painting. So it's it because the, the ones that I've seen, I, there's, there's very few people I've seen painted in contrast paints where I've gone, wow, I really, I really like that. There's a guy who does mm. ancients. Um, he's been doing some Punic Wars Romans and stuff. And I, I, I do apologize if you're listening, mate, I can't remember your name. Um, when these, when he starts painting, I look at them and go, that just looks a bit of a mess. Uh, mm. And especially on the joins between colours, it's getting that right. And do I do I want to learn a new technique? I don't know. And you don't have to. That's the beauty <laughs> of this hobby. You don't have to. Um, I was just taken by them, and I thought, well, if I'm going to have to be selling these things on the one day a week, I, I work in the shop. Mm. I better learn about them. And I was just yeah. it was it was in that learning, so I could talk to um, customers about them mm. that. Um, I fell in love with them. So, yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, I, I reckon, I, I think they've been out for about a year. So I think in about six years' time, you might mm. see my uh, first attempt at contrast paints. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> you never know. You never know. It may or may not happen. Um, so your normal, your normal painting then um, is acrylic and, and the old triad method. Is that your, Absolutely. That your go-to? Uh, and that's my I, go-to. Yeah, I, I don't use the foundry triad paints, but I, I kind mm. of, that's the kind of method that I use. And I mm. tend to find with whites, I'll um, I'll probably, I could even use four or five layers with a white just to yes. get it a bit more blending because white, I think, is the hardest colour to to get right without it looking. Mm. I, I very, very rarely use pure white. I find it's too stark and bright against everything else so Mm. uh, i like ivory and silver gray 
Vallejo colours, really, really nice. Yes. Very, very mm. nice. Um, so we, we mentioned Tinny Tin. Um, yes. What, 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 do you use to, what do you use that wonderful, marvellous colour for? Well, I, I, I use it for um, anything metallic, really. If, uh, it doesn't matter what metallic colour I'm going to want to finish, whether it's a silver or a brass or a gold. Or, mm. um, I tend to start with Tinny Tin. I just find it to be a, a wonderful undercoat to metallics. Yeah. I especially like it on my uh, medieval Dark Ages uh, troops. Mm. I tend to paint the armour and the chain mail um, all in tinny. Like I, I always start with a black undercoat with those guys. I'll do mm. a dry brush of tinny tin over those things mm. and then I'll go over that with, um, with the silvers. But what it does, I think, for me with armour and chain mail, again, it gives it that on-campaign, yeah. that used, dirty look, not not mm. somebody who's going into battle with really shiny, highly polished armour. Yeah. I'm sure those people existed, but most people, you know, got it out, you know, we would have had a bit of rust here and there on it, tried to get mm. somebody to rub it off with a bit of sand. Yeah. And when you looked in the cracks, it would have been, it would have looked used and worn. And yeah. So I find the Tinny Tin just gives metallics that look, yeah. and I like that. If, yeah. I'm, if I want pristine, then I won't use Tinny Tin, but... Mm. If I want it to look like it's yeah. on campaign and these guys have been fighting, um, then that's that's the look I'm after. Yeah, it gives it like um, uh, it's hard to explain, but it gives it like a warmth, if you like. It, yeah. it, you look at it and you you don't consciously notice the um, rusty type color um, no. in in the recesses, but if you take it away, I'm, I'm you looking, notice. You notice it. I'm looking. I'm just. With the figure set out on the table, I'm looking at some of my stuff and the armour on mine compared to the armour on other people's. Um, and it, it's slightly darker, but it's got that warmth to it and that feel to mm. it with, with teeth mm. in. Um, so for those of you who don't know, it's um, a Vallejo model colour. Um, sorry, game colour. It's not in the, the usual game colour. Yeah, in the mm. usual model colour range. So uh, to mm. check that one out if you if you if you want to. Um so uh, and just finally then um just before we come to an end, let's have a talk about photography and um the stuff that you put on Twitter. Um you like you like a good vignette, you like a a good picture. Um, mm. so what um what draws you to that style of photograph? Um, self-taught, Ken. I, yeah. I, I've got a 35mm camera, a nice Olympus, and um, I s noticed a few good photos here and there on my early days on, on Twitter, and I thought, wow, I'd love to learn how to take decent miniature photos. Yeah. And I tried and tried and tried with my camera, and I just couldn't get the lighting right, and mm. a, a whole range of different things got in the way. Um, one of the biggest problem is you take a photo, then you've got to download the bloody photo onto the computer, <laughs> then, you, you know, it just it was a tedious yeah. process. Um, I tried with that for quite some time, and I'd, every now and then I'd have a go at it. And then when I got into my iPad, and um, probably on my second iPad where the cameras have improved quite a lot, I got a light box. Mm. And I started to take some photos, just set up some very basic scenes in the light box. It's not very big. It mm. um, would only be, probably be 18 inches wide and, um, and, and probably, you know, 18 inches deep, no more, 12 to 18 inches. So it's mm. a small thing. So you don't have a lot of room to play. But I found that the one, the first thing I got right was that the light coming in from the side yeah. made a big difference. Um, I, 
and I put the 35 mil camera away and I just picked up my iPad and mm. uh, the quality of the cameras on these things now is stunning. And so all my photos are taken with the iPad and I just find that it takes a lovely photo. And so I've just stuck with that. So I'll set up something really quickly in the light box. It might take me two or three minutes to mm. throw a figure on. Uh, the backdrops were a learning curve. I um, went online and I thought, well, how do you get these nice clouds in the background <laughs> and, and bushes? And I tried building all that stuff up with trees and things I had, but I find that a nice bright sky behind the figure can work wonders to the photograph. Mm. And so I just printed on A3 paper. I found that if you Google um, scenic backdrops, yeah, there is a plethora of ones that you can choose mm. from there and you can they've got them in all in topics so if you want medieval you can get a medieval one if you want a desert scene woods it doesn't matter you just go through and i must have printed probably um 20 or 30 different backdrops mm. and the ones i use the most there's probably two or three that i use a lot and they're just simply a little bit of scrub and then yeah. above the scrub is just clouds and a bright yeah. sky and does that lift the figure? It just makes yeah. a, an enormous difference. And so I'll put a simple thing like a fence or a couple of little um, bushes in front of the picture. The picture's right at the back of the light box. Set up something in front of it. Put the yep. figures down. Click done. Take half a dozen photos. Choose the best one. Whack it up on Twitter and people think it's bloody amazing. Yeah. It's not difficult. It's not hard to do at all. Yeah. I think, I think that's important to to say to people that I'm, I'm very similar to yourself. I use the camera on my tablet, my Samsung tablet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of like wide angle spotlights that I use that I just yeah, move, I like those. move around to get the right yeah. um, shade on the, on the figures, bit of a backdrop, bang, job mm. done. Job I done. bought those because you recommended those yeah. to me and I bought those lights and I've, what that does, what, what I found those lights do is it gives me the opportunity to get away from the light box yeah. and to set up a scene on the table yeah. a little bit bigger. Mm. And so it gives me a bigger area to play with. And um, I find um, I've got to, you've got to be really careful with them because sometimes you can flood the scene with too much yeah. light. And so that, that ability yeah. to be able to turn them up and down is wonderful. Yeah. So I've, I've learned a lot and a lot of my scenes I just set up on the table now and use those lights, which is very helpful. So mm. If, you, if you've got an iPad or a tablet and you've got a light box, I think you mm. can start to do some pretty nice scenes Yeah, um, that will just make your figures look 100% better. Yeah, I don't the, think I'm a great painter, Ken. I, don't, yeah. I, I reckon I'm an average painter. Yeah. But for some reason, when you put them in a nice photograph, people think they're wonderful. Yeah. And I think, I think um, you see, I, I always consider myself as a messy painter and people mm. go, you, no, you're not. But then if you look closely, there's a lot of mistakes in my stuff because I do volume. And I think we're both mm. the same in that we produce volumes of figures for large armies. And to do yes. that, you can't spend three no. hours getting a knapsack right because it no, just doesn't work. Um, no. So... Um, a lot of te- a lot of technique and not a lot of talent. That's the way I like to think of it. <laughs> it's, all, yeah. it's all technique. Um, but to to put those figures in a setting, even if it's just a couple of buildings in the background and, like you say, a fence mm-hmm. in front or maybe a yeah. bit of rough ground or scrub, just brings them out, doesn't it? And it, it does. It, it, 
you kind of you, there's a couple that I've done that um, I've got like a 1970s cops and robbers scene. Um, yeah, they're good. Yeah, and I've, there's a couple of times I've set them up and taken a photograph and gone, that looks like a real street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just yeah, that's that's the compliment. Yeah, when people say to you, "I thought that was a real photograph." Yeah, <laughs> you go, "I've won." Yeah, but if you zoom the camera back, all the buildings yeah. are, are what's called half profile because they're yeah. for, for railway, so they're just empty card at the back. So if mm. you actually look at it from a distance, it doesn't look like good, but it's, no. it's bringing the photograph in, like you do with a film, to bring yes. the film the the view in so that they person who's looking at it is gets yeah. a, a different perspective from it so yeah, totally agree totally yeah. agree well i look forward to seeing much more of your figures over the future and the coming years and your and your bavarian challenge um I, I haven't thought of anything to take part of myself i'm uh i'm struggling to find any bavarians in the italian wars well uh <laughs> <laughs> i think you got enough on your plate <laughs> we'll see what we can find see what we can find um so we'll, we'll draw to a close there mate uh, is there anything that you'd like to ask me before we go i always give people an opportunity for a question at the end no i just want to say thank you ken you've been really supportive to me and um Brilliant. i appreciate you doing these it's another another um string in your bow you yeah. are really a, a very um you, you've really tackled this hobby from many different aspects and every aspect, whether it's photography, painting, now now podcasts and YouTube clips, you have covered it really, really well. And I thank you for that, what the contribution that you're bringing to this hobby. It's awesome. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that, Steve. That's much appreciated, mate. Um, so I'll just say goodnight to the audience. Um, Good night, Steve. Good. Good night, buddy. Great interview with Stephen there. Lovely to connect with people from other parts of the world. Uh, and if you've not following Stephen on Twitter already, uh, the handle is at Old Wargamer. And I'm sure he'd uh, appreciate a like and a follow and uh, get him towards 7,000 uh, followers, which was absolutely superb. Uh, some very kind words at the end of, of that interview there from Stephen. Thank you very much for that. Um, the checks of the post, mate. <laughs> Much appreciated. We've gone over the uh, the two hour limit that I normally like to set for these things, so I'll be uh, quick and uh, concise during this uh, outro period. Uh, just so you're aware, um, this is a five week month, so my normal um, release dates are the second and fourth Friday of a month, and uh, this month uh, there's five Fridays, so I get a little bit of a break from it, uh, which which is nice. Uh, and I'm just waiting for confirmation of uh, my next guest, uh, but there will be one uh, on released on the thirteenth of August, and that'll be a usual episode. And then the one or two weeks after that. Um, should be the catch-up episode that I've been talking about where I'm going to speak to some of my previous guests. So um, I hope you have a, a cracking three weeks and I'll speak to you again then. City.